Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse number 1. I know you just stood, but let's stand yet one more time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Let's all stand. The Holy Spirit says to us today through Isaiah, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with uprightness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may be seated. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You know, one of the wonderful times of Christmas is Christmas lights. How many of you really love Christmas lights? I love Christmas lights. I've, I've heard about a subdivision here. I think it's called Victoria Park, uh, which if you are looking for an opportunity to be in a line for three or four hours looking at Christmas lights, go to Victoria Park. It's one of the hallmarks of Christmas uh, because Christmas really is the season of lights. People will travel far and wide to see lights. Uh, and there are some very talented people uh, Americans spend about $6 billion in Christmas lights annually. And, uh, you know, I was just driving, April and I were driving around uh, Naples, and, and we saw a few. And so here's one of the uh, ones that we saw here. There you go. I mean, look at that. It was a beautiful house. I'm glad that the person that did it wasn't dyslexic and put like Leon instead of <laughs> Noel, but they did a good job. And then here's, here's another house we saw. Look at that. Do you want to build a snowman? I mean, wow, doesn't that look amazing? And then I drove out to the estates and I saw Pastor Kevin's house and, and there it is. <laughs> and and there, there it is. It, it's, there's just something <laughs> that attracts us to Christmas 
lights. One of the ironies is that December, you can remove that slide. One of the ironies of December 25th is that it's actually one of the darkest days in North America and even in Europe. In, in, in uh, the past uh, three or 400 years, lights have been a part of the Christmas experience. And in Europe, people celebrated Christmas. That's how we got into this whole uh, using lights and decorating our house. But, but the lights in Europe were, were not so much decorative as they were symbolic. See, Christmas is about the light of God coming to the world. I mean, we sing this. One of the well-known songs uh, written uh, in, originally in German by Martin Luther is the song Silent Night. Now listen to the words of Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. It is a picture that the light of the world, Jesus, came to this dark world. Now, we're starting a new series in the, books, in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be looking primarily at prophecy. 25% of the Old Testament is prophecy. There are 322 messianic prophecies. And so when, when and that is the prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus. And so when you and I read the Bible and we read prophecy, we have to understand that prophecies were given within a historical context. So every prophecy you read has both a historical, that is an imminent uh, fulfillment, that is what did it say to the people then, and then a prophetic or an ultimate meaning, what was it anticipating? So here we are in Isaiah chapter 9, a very familiar passage to many of you, but Isaiah was writing uh, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, and he was writing and he was speaking to a guy by the name of King Ahaz. King Ahaz was a godless 20-something uh, king, king of Judah, and he was in a great national crisis. There was an internal crisis. The nation was morally and spiritually corrupt. There was an external crisis. Assyria was the rising power in the world and the other nations around Israel and Assyria were nervous. And so they formed this alliance to defend themselves. And so the other nations wanted Judah to join them in this alliance against Assyria. And then Assyria wanted Judah to join in their alliance against these nations. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz and he tells him, do not join any alliance, but just simply trust God in his unshakable and unbreakable promises. See, God wants his people to know that he can be trusted in the midst of a crisis. And so in chapter seven, God goes out of his way to stir up Ahaz's faith by giving him a sign that he didn't ask for. You remember that, that God said to Ahaz uh, that if you're, if you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And so God says through Isaiah, if you don't trust me now, everything around you is going to unravel. But yet uh, Ahaz says, I, I don't want a sign, God. I don't want you to show me a sign. I don't want that. But, but then Isaiah said, well, you're going to get a sign anyway. And that is a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And so the sign that God gives Ahaz in the historic immediate fulfillment was a child to be born. And that child to be born was a sign that God was with Ahaz. You, you're not necessarily sure, Ahaz, that I'm going to be with you, that Emmanuel is here. Well, I'm going to give you a, a sign through a son. And so in chapter eight, a child is born to the prophet Isaiah. And that child born in chapter eight is merely a foreshadowing of a greater son who is to come. 
that, that true Emmanuel would be a king, would be a ruler, would be the hero, and would be the Messiah. He is the light of the world who dawned on the world on Christmas morning. And so Isaiah is going to teach us in chapter 9 that the darkness of this world is no match for the brightness of the sun. Now, we are in this Christmas season, and many of you have gone through many dangers, toils, and snares, and you are beginning to wonder, God, are you there? Do you care? And will you win? And what God is going to say through this series is don't stop believing. The darkness of this world is no match for the brightness of God's son. So let's just unpack that. Number one, the darkness of the world. The uh, immediate writing here in Isaiah is found when you read chapter nine, if you want to kind of know more of the context, you go to chapter eight. And what we know is that the days of Isaiah were dark days. Chapter eight, verse 22, days of distress and darkness, days of gloom and anguish, days of thick darkness. Uh, Isaiah here is speaking of the reality of just living in a broken world. Just to be honest, the world as we know it is a dark place. It's full of scary things and scary people. I've always kind of thought that if we actually knew what was lurking around in our neighborhoods, we would never go outside at night. You know, biblically, darkness refers to evil. It refers to ignorance. It was a time here when Isaiah was writing, a time of national, national crisis, economic crisis. People were living hand to mouth. They were facing invasion. The very existence as a nation of Judah was under threat. There was uncertainty about the future. There was fear for their own safety. People around them felt helpless and hopeless. High inflation. And so... When we talk about darkness in the Bible, what does it mean? When he says that the people were living in darkness, what does that mean? Well, it means three things. Number one, darkness means death. Chapter two, or chapter nine, verse two, he talks about deep darkness. Literally in the Hebrew, it can be translated the death shadow, that people who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, who lived under the death shadow. See, where there is no light, there is ultimately death. Why? Because light and life go together just as darkness and death go together. I mean, I was reading an article uh, from Popular Science Magazine a few years ago that, that asked the question, what would it be like? What would, the world, what would the world be like if the sun went out? And so according to Popular Science Magazine, according to scientists, when the, if the sun were to ever go out, within a week, the global temperature would drop to zero. Within a year, negative 100 degrees, eventually going to negative 400. Photosynthesis would stop, which would mean the end of plant life, which would mean there would be no food, which would also lead to the halt of oxygen production. And eventually, most of the life on earth that we know it would cease to exist. Why? Because light brings life. And so in chapter 9, verse 2, those in deep darkness, who are those who are living in deep darkness? Who are those living under the death shadow? Well, that's all of humanity. See, it's not just physical darkness, but spiritual darkness. All of us are born under the shadow of death because of sin. Every one of us in this room is dying. Now, let me just give you an example. Here's something you have to understand that all of us, everything in creation that's alive is dying. Now, Thanksgiving was, uh, was wonderful. And for the first time in my life, I ate a deep fried turkey. Anybody have a deep fried turkey? I mean, I didn't even know that, that they could, you could make turkey that good. And so forever and ever, I will go to someone's house where they make deep fried turkey. 
But just imagine you were to take the Thanksgiving turkey, you were to cook it, and then put it on the table. You don't touch it, you don't eat it, you just leave it out. In four hours, what would happen? Get cold. In four days, it would start to decay, start to smell. In four weeks, you might need to call the health department. It'd be rotten and nasty. And why is that? Because if you don't do something with the turkey, it loses its energy and it goes bad. Why am I telling you that? We're all like the turkey. We are dying. We are decaying. We are rotting. We are molting. It's just slower. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. All of us everywhere in the entire world, every person is dying. Blaise Pascal, who is the 17th century philosopher, describes our lives like being in a giant party full of happy people, loud music and dancing, during which a monster unexpectedly bursts through the doors, grabs a random party goer, mulls them in front of everyone, drags their bloody corpse out of the room. It's a wonderful Saturday night sermon. Everyone watches in horror, and after it, They stare at each other in stunned silence for just a few moments. And then all of a sudden, the band kicks back up. Everyone returns to the party, putting uh, that picture out of their minds. But yet that horror is repeated every few moments until it's apparent that everyone in that room is eventually going to be gotten by the monster. But yet the party still goes on. And, and what, what Pascal says, he, he says, that monster is our impending death. And our preferred way of dealing with it is distraction. Darkness speaks of death. Secondly, darkness speaks of deception. The, the darkness of the world is not just death, spiritual death, but deception. Because what you see in chapter 8 is that instead of turning to God, we tend to turn away from God. In chapter 8, verse 9, the people of God and the people consulted mediums, magicians instead of God. They they went to psychics. They went to dead people. They turned to crystals. I'm not talking about hamburgers. They they turned to crystals. Chapter 8, verse 22, they will look to people of the earth. People will turn to anything and everything other than God. They'll shut the light out of their lives. They they want more darkness. See, self-deception is not the worst thing you can do, but it's the reason that we do the worst things we do. See, the majority of the world that we live in here in Naples in Southwest Florida is walking in darkness. Like like ancient Israel, they're they're looking to the experts, they're looking to the mystics, they're looking to science, they're looking to scholars, to politicians for solutions. People know that this world is dark. I mean, if you were to go out and just ask people, do you think this world is perfect? They're going to give you a, a lot of reasons why they don't think it's perfect. Everyone that I've ever met in the history of my life says this world is broken. Everyone knows it's broken. And yet they're looking to their own intellect or innovation to bring light. But yet in their pursuit of intellectual enlightenment, it only leads to more darkness. See, we are living in the days of post-truth, fake news, objective facts that are less influential in shaping public opinion that appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, people don't care if it's true anymore. 
They just care about how they personally feel about it or believe it. If someone believes it's true, then it must be true. There's a recent New York Times article uh, written about Carissa uh, Schumacher, uh, who is the medium to the stars. And so people like Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt and others uh, will pay $1,111 per hour session in which Carissa Schumacher can channel what she calls the power of Yeshua, of Jesus. And so when she, you call her up or you come visit her, she will channel uh, the power of Yeshua. So what happens is her, her body changes, her body contorts, her voice changes, her voice gets deeper with a measured, slight British accent, just like in the New Testament, just like how Jesus sounded, right? One of her clients, Jennifer Anderson, said, it's not going to be for everybody, but as long as it's not harming anyone, I feel that to each his own. But whatever makes it easier to walk through this world with a lighter step, especially today, Carissa is human like the rest of us. So you have to take from it what resonates and leaves the rest. And that's what people do. They just look to things that resonate. Now, it doesn't have to be true, could be made up. You spend $1,111 to hear some woman contort her body and sound deep in the British accent and say that she's Jesus. You're, one, you're getting ripped off. I would do it for much cheaper. But two, what is she saying? So Al Mohler on this says this. She, he says, even as many reject Christianity or do not even know the truth claims of Christianity, people are going to be spiritual. They're going to be religious. Everybody, I don't, even the atheist is religious, okay? In many cases, they're going to be religious in the most religious ways, even if most irrational. Christians have to understand this from Scripture, that every single human being is not only a physical creature, but is a spiritual creature with spiritual longings, and it's going to be met one way or the other. Either you turn to God or you turn to a lie. And so the darkness of our day is death. It is deception. And there are people who are believing the lies of this world, and it's going deeper and deeper and deeper in darkness. The last is despair. What does darkness mean? It means despair. Chapter eight, verse 21, they passed through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Chapter four, verse, chapter nine, verse four, under the yoke of burden, the darkness, the distress, the gloom, the anguish, the hunger in which Isaiah foresaw is still with us. And it's with us and around us for the same exact reason. We pushed God away. Our world has murdered their parents and now claims to be an orphan. And we're enslaved to fear. See, the result is darkness and the agony of hopelessness. Seeing no light at the end of the tunnel, no help, no relief. Maybe that's where you are this evening. People are desperately trying to fill the emptiness and the loneliness of their lives with career or with drugs or with an affair or alcohol or possessions or money or social media fame or power, and none of it works. The great theologian Jim Carrey said this. He said, I think everyone should get 
rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so that they can see that it's not the answer. See, maybe you're living today and tonight in the, in the shadows of despair. And you're unsure what the next year holds for you. Your, your job security is shaky. Your marriage is crumbling. Your health is fading. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you just don't know where to turn to. And you're searching for something to hold on to. But it's just more darkness. Eminem says in his song, Darkness, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I don't want to be alone in the darkness. I don't want to be alone in the darkness. I don't want to be alone in the darkness anymore. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in despair. Well, I want you to hear that the darkness of this day is no match for the brightness of the sun. Verse 1, now we get to chapter 9. But, nevertheless, transition, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. That is, darkness shall not be continually on the land. The doom and the gloom are not going to last forever. There is hope. Just as the night doesn't last forever, there is a dawn. So there is a dawn coming that has came, a ray of hope that comes in the morning. The prophet Isaiah moves us from the doom, despair, and agony of chapter 8 to the hopeful, joyful expectation of chapter 9. Hope is what you're looking forward to. Hope says that my future will be better than my past and that where I am going is better than where I have been. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish in the land of Zebulun and Daphtali. Now, some of you are like, what does this mean? This is the Galilean region, northern Israel, one of my favorite places in the entire world. But yet in Isaiah's day, it was the most darkest here he uses the reference to Galilee of the nations, that it was the front door to the nations along the king's highway and the way of the sea. It was a multi-ethnic, multi-generational area where sadly many invading foreign armies would attack. And so he says that in the land of the darkest place in the darkest part of God's world, light has come. See, God came to his people who were suffering the most, and that's where he launched his attack of salvation. The people in that region were broken, weary, and afraid. He says in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The light shined, it flashed in an unexpected place for unexpected people to flash a ray of hope. The light of God has dawned. See, although Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he spent the majority of his life in ministry where? In Galilee. He says, on them, on those people, the light has shined. The good news of Christmas is that the light has come to a dark world. See, God did not come to congratulate the successful. He didn't come to high five the holy or those who have got their lives all together. He came to those walking in darkness. See, Christmas is for the faithless. Christmas is for the joyless. Christmas is for the defeated. Christmas is for those who are dying, those who are deceived, and those who are in despair. That's why he says in chapter 9, verse 6, for to us, a child is born. It's humanity. 
And to us, the son is given his divinity. The God man is coming. The message of Christmas is for those who are living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized you is in this child. He is the wonderful counselor, a wonder of a counselor who has the best ideas and strategies for life. He is mighty God who defeats our enemies and sets us free. He is our everlasting father who loves us endlessly. He is our prince of peace who reconciles us with God and gives us peace with, of God. He is the king to end all kings, saving us from our failure, lifting us into his own justice and righteousness. John 1, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Have you ever walked into a dark room before? How do you get rid of the darkness? Do you sweep it away? Do you yell at it? Do you educate it? Do you call the government? Are you just nice to it? No, you turn on the light. The only way to defeat darkness is to turn on the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The prophet tells us that this light turns sadness into singing. Verse three, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy at the harvest. Light takes sadness into singing. Do you know that a lot of people are moving to Florida? A thousand people a day. Why are they moving to Florida? We're the sunshine state. People get joy where the sun shines. Psychologically, people in, in places where the sun doesn't shine as much have what's called seasonal affective disorder. Sad. They get depressed during winter. Why? Because there's just something about sunshine that helps. See, Jesus is the light of the world who came to increase joy. That's why the, the message of the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angels said to them, fear not, for I bring to you good news of great that will be for all the people. Unspeakable joy. Jesus is the one who brings us true joys. I was reading this morning in Psalm 16, in your presence is the fullness of joy. See, we need Jesus to have true joy. All the joys of this earth are short-lived and often short-sighted. Jesus shows us what is truly beautiful and what is not. Sin and evil masquerade as what is beautiful, but they're just distortions of beauty. Light turns sadness into singing. Light turns defeat into deliverance. Verse four, the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors. You have broken as on the day of Midian. Jesus came to shatter the oppressive yoke of sin. That sin that held us in bondage and defeat. That, that sin that binds you. And so Jesus came to deliver you from whatever binds you. He came to break the power of canceled sin. And so in Christ, you can have freedom from alcohol. In Christ, you can have freedom from pornography. In Christ, you can have freedom from drugs. In Christ, you can have freedom from anger. In Christ, you can have freedom from the strongholds of sin in your life. For every boot of a trampling warrior in battle told will be burned as fuel for the fire. 
This verse speaks of a great battle. The imagery here is that a great victory will be won over evil that will not require our strength, no warrior's boot, no armor, no sword. Someone else is going to fight this battle. And his name is Jesus. See, stop trying to fight your own battles. See, Jesus will not only defeat all the forces of evil, but will put an end to conflict itself. On Christmas Day, the reason why, Charlie Brown, we celebrate Christmas is because on Christmas morning, God launched his attack on darkness with the light of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, our warrior, God, the captain of our salvation, later took the field at Calvary, engaged the titan forces of sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. And when the dust of the battle was settled, an empty tomb stands as an eternal monument to the victory of King Jesus. And so, my friends, if you are on the right side of King Jesus, it will never matter if you're on the wrong side of history. Samwise Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings said that it's, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end... It's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Christmas tells us that a new day has come because the sun has shined out in the Son of God. See, Jesus is the light of the world. That's why we have Christmas lights. But here's what you gotta understand. Great spiritual light is no guarantee of great spiritual sight. Just because the light's on doesn't mean you see it. Jesus, uh, John in John's gospel, John chapter one, verse 10 says about Jesus that he was in the world and the world was made by him, was made through him, and yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus, the child that was born. Jesus is the son that was given. Jesus is a gift to us that can only be ours if we receive him, as many as receive him. We don't accept Jesus. I didn't accept Jesus into my heart. I received Jesus. Jesus does not need my acceptance. I need his. I don't accept him. I receive him. And I receive him by realizing my need for him and abandoning my trivial pursuits and efforts to save myself and to give my life to him. See, you may go to church and you may hear the things of God and you may be around Christian people, but that's no guarantee. For some of you younger people in the room, the person I'm about to tell you a story about, you may have absolutely no idea who it is. 
But on December 31st, 1952, Hank Williams Sr. was supposed to sing that night in Canton, Ohio. But he couldn't get a plane from Knoxville, Tennessee because of a snowstorm. And so he rented a Cadillac limousine. He rented a driver, got a driver, and he left the Andrew Johnson Hotel. And before he left, he shot up on vitamin B12 and morphine. The driver was driving from Knoxville to Canton, Ohio, through the mountains of West Virginia. He pulled off on the side of the road to check on Williams at a gas station, and he opened the door, and he found 29-year-old Hank Williams Sr. dead. About four years before that, Hank Williams wrote a song while he was on a, in another Cadillac ride on his way home. Someone said to Hank, we're home, I see the light. Williams writes down and begins to scrabble these words that say this, I wandered so aimlessly, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a thief in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. You can hear him sing it right now, hopefully. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Just before he died, he was in San Diego to do a concert with Minnie Pearl. That night, he was high on drugs and he was drunk. He stumbled onto the stage in rehearsal, sang a couple of songs and stumbled off. And so Minnie Pearl and his manager got in that Cadillac and they drove him around San Diego to sober him up so he can go and do that concert. Minnie Pearl was doing whatever he, she could to, to help get him going and, and to get him back. He was so depressed. He was so down. He was so drunk. She started to sing to him. She's saying, I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. And Hank Williams Sr. looked at Minnie Pearl. And he said, I don't see no light. There ain't no light. And what does that tell us? It tells us you can know the song. You could sing the song. You can write the song. But unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have no light, you have no life, and you have no hope. Jesus is the light of the world. And the darkness of this world is no match for the brightness of the sun. And if you're here tonight and you have never given your life to Jesus, you're living in that despair. You're living in that deception. You're turning to everything but God. Why don't you today, the light is shining. The light is on. And today, don't Accept Jesus. Receive Jesus. But as many as received him, to him gave the power to become the children of God. If you're here tonight and you need that hope of Jesus, he's here. But every head be bowed and every eyes be closed, and I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, if you need tonight to give your life to Jesus, 
I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you've come to church and maybe you sang the song and maybe you've even written a song, but if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. So if you're here tonight and you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, it's not a magical formula. It's just faith in Jesus. So maybe you're here tonight and you want to pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have lived for myself. I know, God, that I am hopeless without you. Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I freely receive the gift of salvation. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Save me, Jesus. In your name I pray. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. No one's looking around. If you today just prayed to trust Christ as your Savior or you want to speak with somebody, I want you to do something courageous. I want you just to look up at me. No one's looking around. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you back there. Put your eyes down. Those of you that looked at me, when the service is over, come find me or go out to Next Steps or write on that connection card. I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.